Hopefully you're turned to 2 Chronicles chapter 7 there. If you have a bookmark, though, in your Bible there, if you'd, if you'd, mark, that, if you'd mark that spot, and uh, in just a moment I'm going to have you turn somewhere else. It's going to be a minute before we get there. Um, but this morning I, I'd like to talk to you about something that's been a burden on my heart personally in the last several months to a year or something like that, and that is the the idea of revival, the need for revival. Um, growing up, you know, I, I, I just celebrated a, a birthday, 31. I know that that's not old. I know that. I'm, I'm starting to feel it, though. But I, <laughs> but I know that that's not old at all um, in the grand scheme of things. But maybe for the first time in my life, I'm really starting to, my eyes are really starting to be open to the shift that our culture is taking and the downfall that is happening in our country. And I think part of the reason that I'm, that you say, why haven't you noticed it up until now? Part of the reason is because I've never lived in an America that doesn't accept some of these things as just being the way things are. I've not grown up in an America where uh, someone drinking heavily is not called a disease. Um, where I've not grown up in an America where, uh, where even something like uh, homosexuality or, or immorality in general is not something that's, not only is it not shame, but avidly promoted. I don't know an America that doesn't look like that. So hopefully you can understand a little bit maybe why it might take a minute to start to realize, wait, things are really moving downhill quickly, aren't they? Um, we need revival. Our country needs revival. But the more that I read about revival and the more that I study the word of God when it comes to revival, the less I think it's some kind of, some kind of conviction that comes to the lost. It's not. We say, God send revival. We need revival. And as we say so, we think about the lost and dying world. That's not right. You've got it backwards. Amen. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So, so often we, we, we ask God, we say send revival to our country. But the more that I read the word of God, the less I think revival is some sort of conviction, like I said. But it's, it's something, it isn't something that we need God to give our country. It's something that we need to give God. We need to give him uh, our lives. We need to give ourselves over to him. We are the ones that need to be revived, and we are the ones who have control over that. God needs us to have revival. It's not the other. We don't need God to send revival. God is standing there going, I can do all sorts of amazing things, but I need you to be revived. That's what I need. Uh, it, it's the other way around. What we need from God concerning our country is forgiveness. That's what we need from the Lord, and he's waiting on it. He would love to give it, but he needs his people to wake up and realize that they're the ones who need to be revived uh, this morning. And so the only questions that need to be asked this morning when it comes to revival is, do we want it, and how far are we willing to go to get it? Where, where is the, where's the line? Where's the stopping point where you say, that's too far for me? Amen? The first thing I'd like to draw your attention to is that we need revival in our country. Amen? Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you would. If you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 in your Bibles, we need revival in our country. 
2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says this, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. This is, it sure seems like more and more every single day, these verses are defining the world around us, aren't they? And, and again, like I said, my eyes are slowly, are slowly being opened to all of the, to, the, to the agenda and to the things being pushed, but my eyes are also being opened to something else too, and that is that some of these things define us, the church. They define the, the, they define the children of God that reside within this country. Um, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. What are you looking forward to in your life? What's the next thing on your list? Was it this service this morning? Was it Sunday morning service at your church? Was that, was that something you had circled on your calendar? Not necessarily for real, but in your heart and in your mind. Man, I'm looking forward to Sunday. Man, I'm looking forward to hearing the word of God preach. Man, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, God's people sing around me. I'm looking forward to worshiping the Lord this morning. Uh, it's probably that next sports event that you're going to. It's probably that next, uh, it's probably that next uh, uh, event or that next time that you have with your family. Good things, all good things. But what do you love more? Lovers of pleasure, pleasures more than lovers of God. Um, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And I'm kind of jumping ahead because I like to do that. But sometimes we, sometimes we like to come, uh, we like to come to church and we put up this, we put up this wall of perfection. We don't mean to, but we come in and we're dressed nice and we greet everyone with a smile. And, we do, and I'm not saying that you should, yeah, I'm, not, I'm absolutely not saying that, that those things are, are wrong but do you just have the form or are you actually plugged into the power source? Are you, is that actually the way that you're living your life? Or, do, or is the only time, the only time that you act like a Christian is, you know, Sunday from, from uh, you know, 10 till 10 until 12.15 and, 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 and then in, in, in the evening if you come? Are those the only times that you have a form of godliness and the rest of the week, you're denying the power thereof. Uh, 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 the Bible says, from such turn away. And, and, and whether the world knows it or not, they're actually obeying this verse too. Because I feel like there's a lot of young people my age and maybe a little bit older that are starting to look around at the world. And, and I know there are lots of different brands of Christianity in our country. I understand that. But for the most part, they're looking at Christians and they're saying, I don't want that. I don't want to be a part of that. And, uh, and uh, um, I want to be a part of getting our, I want to be a part of a revival in our country where in my own personal life, in my own heart and life, I have God doing something and other people can see what God has got going on in my heart and in my life. And they want that. They want to be a part of that. That's what I want. And that's what you ought to want uh, uh, this morning. Our, our country, it's in a scary place right now. But it is not the actions of the lost that have led us to this point. It is the inaction of the church 
it is the inaction of us that has caused us to get to this point. Um, why, 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 why would we expect a lost person to behave the right way? Why do we think that way? Why do we look at a lost person and immediately judge them as somebody uh, uh, that's without, uh, um, that's hopeless and, and helpless and can't be helped and can't be, their lives can't be changed? We immediately judge them like that. Why would you think anything else of them? Why would you expect a child of the devil to behave in any other way than as the devil wishes them to behave? Our job is to be a part of seeing a change in that person's life. That's, that's what we're called to be. And yet so often we refuse to help because we see, we, somehow we see them as beyond help. That somehow there's a point at which God's hand is shortened. That it can't save them. That it can't reach them. God's hand is not shortened. And as I preached a few weeks ago, God's hand is capable of anything and can reach and can help any person that needs it. And so, uh, and so why would we expect that in, uh, uh, of them? Anything else of that? It's, uh, it's really easy as a Christian. It's, and, and like I said, things are getting, e it's getting easier and easier and easier to point at the big picture stuff. Um, uh, Pastor Bish has brought it up many times from behind the pulpit, but talking about this, this movement that's happening now in our schools and in our churches of having men coming dressed in drag to, to read to our kids and to try to present that as a normal behavior and a normal way of living. And it's important for you to understand that those people really genuinely believe that. They really think that. They really do because they don't have the Holy Spirit with, living within them. They are not being convicted of that. They, they are, as the Bible describes, a natural man. And, and, and while uh, uh, at first appearance it looks like we're at war with them, we're at war with the devil that is, that is clouded and, and confused and misguided our country. And, and uh, uh, it's very easy to, it's easy to jump on that train. It's very easy to do that. But do you examine your own life with that same level of scrutiny? Do you feel the same disgust in your heart for your sin as you do for the obvious big picture stuff that's ruining our country right now? Do you have that same hatred? God hates sin. Do you have that same hatred in your heart for those little sins that you commit day after day after day and can't seem to get a hold of? I can't seem to figure out. Do you have that same level of disgust? I, I challenge you, no, because I know I don't. I know that I see that on TV and my, my, stomach is, my stomach churns at the thought that there are groups of people who believe that that is the way our country ought to be. With all their heart, with all their being, they believe that. And, and, and why don't I have that same stomach churning moment when I realize I've sinned against the holy God? Why don't I have the, that same reaction? I don't care enough. I need to care more. I need God to revive uh, my heart in, in such a way that, that when, when I do something that comes between me and the Lord, I'm heartbroken about it. I'm disgusted at myself for it. I want to do something different. Amen? Uh, go ahead and turn to um, Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59 and verse 1. And while you're turning there, I'm going to quote 1 John 1, 8. The Bible says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Don't minimize your sin. 
Don't brush it off. The world is, is, like I said, it is heading downhill fast and it has become very easy to compare our lives to this world and say, I'm okay. I'm in a good place because of all this wickedness that's going on. I'm one of the good ones. I'm one of the, I'm one of the righteous. I'm one of the, we are not. We are not. I've got a long, long, long way to go. And I don't ever want to get to the place where I, as a Christian, I settle and I stop. And I stop trying to get closer to the Lord because, because the gap is so great between me and the rest of my country that I feel as though I must be one of God's, uh, I must be one of God's favorite people. Because look at all these horrible, horrible people. And God is looking down and all he sees is red. He doesn't see dark red and light red. He sees red. Sin is sin. God hates it. Amen. Isaiah 59, verse number one, the Bible says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are, are uh, defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue hath muttered perverseness. It's really easy to look at our country right now and say, our country needs revival. It does. It does need revival. We need revival. We are the ones that need revival. We are the ones who are supposed to know better. I'm, I'm convicting myself right now while I'm preaching, amen? Uh, but we are the ones who are supposed to know better than this. Stop, stop, stop pointing at this lost and dying world and saying they ought to know better. We ought to know better. We are the ones who are supposed to be fixing this. And if you have unresolved sin in your life this morning... You are separated. The Bible says here, your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you. And you wonder why you don't feel revived and refreshed when you leave on a Sunday morning. You wonder why the same on a Sunday night. You wonder why you're in ministry but it feels like a slog. It feels like you can't, uh, uh, that you're not enjoying yourself. You wonder why you don't have peace when trials come. You don't have joy. You wonder why and the God who can give all those things to you has hid his face from you because you are unwilling to acknowledge the fact that your quote-unquote small sin is not as big a deal as, as everything else that's going on in, in the world right now. It's time to wake up and realize there are no small sins with God. They are a big deal. He hates them. And, and, uh, and if you love the Lord like you claim that you do, you ought to hate them with the same kind of passion that he does. Amen? God hates every single bit of it. Uh, and like I said, we're, we're all really eager. We're eager to jump on the big issue things. We're eager to jump on the things that stand out to us. But when I was growing up, my, uh, my dad was very, 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 very careful about what was allowed to come across the TV in our home. Very, very careful. Um... You know, a movie, a movie could be rated PG. Or, honestly, a movie could be rated G. It could be a movie that was intended for three-year-olds. <laughs> and if he hadn't seen it, neither did we. If, 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 um, uh, uh, and if there was, I mean, anything, anything whatsoever in there that he did not find to be pleasing to his God, he did not allow us to see that. 
And when I was a kid, that frustrated me a lot. Go over to a friend's house and they would say, hey, have you seen this? And I'd say, no, I haven't. They would say, you want to watch it? And I would say, I, my dad hasn't seen that yet. And they would say, what's that got to do with anything? I'd say, well, if he hasn't seen it, we haven't seen it. That's the rule, <laughs> all right? And, and they said, but it's rated PG. Doesn't matter. It frustrate me a lot. And I'll be honest with you, without really realizing it, I've gotten lax in my own home about that. Oh, it's, it's rated PG. There's probably nothing in there. The world is defining those terms. They are the ones deciding what is okay for a child to see with a parent present. And I've discovered that some of those things are not okay. They are not okay. And so uh, 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 I, in a time when I should have been more vigilant than my father, I have been less vigilant. And I need to change that. Amen? Uh, uh, parents, again, I'm jumping the gun here, but parents, we've gotta be, we have got to be so, so careful child is very impressionable. And even the smallest amount of exposure to some of that stuff can normalize it in their minds and make it okay. I told you I grew up in a world in which homosexuality was actively advocated, is, is being actively advocated for, and there are very few people standing up against it, and those that are being called hateful and hurtful and spiteful. And I'm gonna tell you right now that I, as a Christian, I, knowing what the word of God has to say about it, it's worn on me. That message has worn on me to the point that I start feeling like that's a battle that can't be won. That's a battle that's not worth speaking out against because of fear of what might happen. That message is so pervasive that it is, it is wearing. And if I'm not in the word of God and I'm not, I'm not uh, 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 asking the Holy Spirit to, to guide me and to direct me and to strengthen me in my convictions from what I've read from the word of God, I will fall to that. I'm not above that. There are churches all across our country that are starting to hang those flags from, their, uh, uh, from the outside of their church. And they're giving in to that message that if you don't hang these flags, you don't love people. They're giving in to that message one by one. You say, that'll never be our church. They said that too. Just a total side note. Not even in my notes, amen. Uh, go ahead and turn to James chapter two. James chapter two and verse number eight. James chapter two and verse number eight, the Bible says this, it says, if ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself ye do well. But if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law's transgressors. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. God sees the law as one law. You've broken any part of it. You've broken all of it. I used to give this illustration all the time to uh, the teens that would come through uh, my Bible class and, and, uh, and uh, the like junior church lesson and stuff like that. Say you had two of those uh, 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 mosaic paintings uh, that you find in some older churches and stuff, those beautiful uh, uh, you know, stained glass windows. And uh, there were two of them side by side and you had two kids and one of them took a small rock and threw, and through the tiniest, smallest little, one of those little detail panes of glass broke one of those pieces. You can barely even notice it. You gotta really get up close to it to tell that any part of it is broken. And say the other kid goes up and gets on a wrecking ball and rears that thing back and just smashes half the wall down and takes the window with it. 
we obviously standing there would go, that kid broke the window. They both broke the window. There are two broken windows there. And in our understanding of sin, we like to look at it and say, oh, but you know, my window's mostly perfect. See, my window is still beautiful. And they've got a giant hole in the wall. And God says, no, it's not beautiful. It's not perfect. You've broken my law. They're both ruined. It's so very easy for us to, to start to think that we are above them. We are not above. As a matter of fact, we might be below because like I said, we know better and we still do wrong. Amen? And by the way, the, the Bible say, say, uh, says here, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. A lot of us like to look at that verse and say, oh, but I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. Not hating someone is not the same as loving someone. That's also a side note, amen? Uh, but but we, we need to stop pointing the fingers everywhere else in our world and begin to realize that according to word of God, when God's people live righteously, that nation will remain blessed. It's a promise. Go ahead and turn to, uh, to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, where I had you uh, hold your place earlier. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 12 I'll read these verses again. The Bible says, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or, or if I send a pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. That is a promise from the word of God. We love to hold up the promises of God, but then we, we confusedly look around our country and go, what is happening to our country? Uh, God's not blessing America anymore. Uh, God's not, oh, if only God would bless America. We, we call out to God, God, bless this country. God, send revival to this country. And God's standing there going, I would love to. I would love to. And I gave you a promise that I would. But my people which are called by my name, they need to humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. It, the blame is not with the left and the, the agenda. and the, 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 That is a byproduct of our inaction. That is a consequence. That is, not, that is not what's moving the needle. We are moving the needle by doing nothing, by sitting by. That is, that's what's happening here. Amen? Uh, I, uh, my mind thinks of Agrippa uh, in Acts chapter 26 when, when Paul stood before him and Paul witnessed and testified to him and, and Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. I've often thought, who did Agrippa know? What other Christian did Agrippa know? Because, uh, because Paul... We, we tout him as one of the, uh, we tout him as, as an excellent example of a, of a witness and a Christian that, that, that lived the way that he preached and it was a good witness for the Lord. That's who we hold him up to be. What other Christian did Agrippa know that made him go, yeah, but that guy, but that lady? Uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Mahatma Gandhi, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a famous quote and a famous illustration now, but as a younger man, before he kind of rose through uh, the ranks and, and, and became the voice that he was by the time of his death. As a younger man, he wanted to know more about this Christ that he was hearing. And so he, he uh, went to a very large congregational church that he had heard about 
and he went up to the door and they let him know that only the high caste members of India and white people were allowed in the main service, but that he could attend this other service that they had for people of lower class like himself in a literal barn. And he was confused by this because he had already read a Bible. He had already read in the book of James when it says not to tell someone to sit here under your footstool. He had already read the Bible and he knew that you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. He was enamored by it as a matter of fact. A lot of those things are in his teachings in India. A lot of those same messages are in his teachings because he got them from the Bible as a young man. But he was turned away and, and he walked away from that and later on in his life, he was quoted as saying, I would have been a Christian were it not for all the Christians. Can you imagine a man of his status that is revered like he is being a gospel witness for Christ, but he's turned away at the door because the people, God's people, don't know God's word because God's people consider that to be a small deal in the grand scheme of everything. That's just a little deal. And it kept a very influential man from being a Christian. What would this world look like if India were, were, uh, were on the side of the cause of Christ? What would this world look like? Hard to imagine that two people at the door were responsible for that. I do not want to be responsible for that, amen? Uh, uh, it is not enough, though. It is not enough to say, and I need to hurry, but it is not enough to say that our world needs revival. If we truly want our world to have revival, revival, we need a revival in our church. Amen, that's the second thing. We need a revival in our church, in our church, in Heritage Baptist Church of Wallingford. We need revival. To go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter two and verse number one. You can't control what all the other churches in our country do. You can't do that. You, we can sit around and worry about that all day long, but you don't have any power or any authority or any say in how another church conducts their business. But we do in ours. We have a say. We are the members of this body of Christ. We have a say in how this church behaves and functions and its purpose. And so I challenge you to, to consider that and your role in our church this morning. Revelation chapter two and verse number one says, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience. These are all good things. And how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars. Pastor Bush constantly getting up and saying, hey, that's a, that's a false teaching. That is, that is not a doctrine that we are supposed to be adhering to, calling that out from this world. Those are all good things. Um, uh, and has borne and has patience and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. And I, 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 I preach constantly on this topic. I know, I understand, but it's needed. I need it. I need, I need to be reminded that laboring for the Lord, it's good, it's right, but my life is supposed to please the Lord. I'm supposed to love the Lord with all my heart. I am supposed to be, I'm supposed to be in tune with him and, and, and having him uh, uh, guide my life, amen? Uh, uh, because when you do those things in your own power, 
You run out of strength so quickly. And on top of that, the Lord is not pleased with that. It's clear here. Uh, uh, we, we read on. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will co uh, uh, come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Our church. Amen. Our church is not, we're, we're, we're not a social club. We're, we're, not a, we're, not a, we're not a country club. We're not a, we're not a place uh, to, uh, and, and we should, we, are, we ought to be friends with each other. We ought to be a family, amen? We ought to look forward to meeting with each other, but that's not the purpose of Heritage Baptist Church. It's not a time to come and, and, and sit and hear a message you agree with that helps you feel good about you because you're, you're in a better place than the world around you, so you come and you hear a message that, that confirms those ideas to you, and you say, oh, that was a good message. It was a good message because you agreed with it. It was a good message because you, amen, of course you agree with it. You're supposed to agree with it, amen? This is from the word of God. Yeah. Amen? Sorry. But, uh, uh, but, but, but God says, but God says uh, 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 church, you need to figure out what your purpose is, what you're supposed to be doing, or else... I'm going to remove your candlestick. And we like to think, uh, we, we like to preach this doom and gloom that God will come and Heritage Baptist Church will be no more. Oh, no. There are churches all over this country. The, the doors are still open. They're still meeting. But God's not moving. God's not doing anything there. He's removed his candlestick. He didn't shut the, he didn't shut the lights off at the church. He said, no, I think I'll go and find a church that's willing and ready and able to do exactly what I asked them to do because they are in tune with me and they know what I want. Amen? Our church is, it's not a charity either. We ought to give. We're supposed to give. We're commanded to give. But our church is not a charity either. Our church is, to, is supposed to be two things. It's supposed to be a lighthouse, a beacon to those around us of what a, a family of Christians is supposed to look like. And it, we are supposed to be out there. We are supposed to be witnessing whether we uh, like it, whether it's, it's socially acceptable or not, whether it even comes with persecution or imprisonment or any, or any of those sorts of things. We are supposed to be out there witnessing to everyone around us. If we are not doing that, we are not a New Testament church. That is what the church is called to do. If we are not doing that, we are a social club. We can just hang the 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 lions, you know, the uh, uh, logo or the or the v, you know the VFW hall on the, you know, we can we can we can just go ahead and hang a sign like that right on the thing and call it Heritage Club, Heritage, you know, social gathering. I, I don't know, but if we're not out there and we're not witnessing, then we're not a church. That's what a church is supposed to be. We're supposed to be a sanctuary. We're supposed to come here. We're supposed to worship the Lord. So often we come and say, I can't wait to hear the message. I really needed that. Feed me. Give me. I really needed that. We're supposed to come here and worship the Lord. We're supposed to give him our praise. We're supposed to give him our service. We're supposed to give him our will and our heart in the middle of the message. We're supposed to be giving. We're supposed to be worshiping, amen? Uh, uh, we're supposed to be witnessing unashamedly and worshiping unreservedly. That is what we are supposed to be doing as a church, amen? And could, can you imagine what God could do with Heritage Baptist Church, with the number of people that's in here this morning? Can you imagine what God could do if even a few went all in, went all in and said, that's what I'm gonna make my life about? I'm gonna make it about 
pleasing him, and I'm, I'm going to make it about doing his will. Can you imagine it? It would be incredible. Amen? Uh, uh, COVID. COVID happened. And COVID was rough. And for some, it was rougher than others. And I feel like, and this is myself included, it took a while. Even after we came back, some of us never really actually came back. Come back. Come back. Amen? It took me a while. It took me a while to get back into uh, the groove, so to speak, to get back into... uh, 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 because it was scary and it was a time when we weren't meeting and things slowed way down. Things, as a matter of fact, some, some things, some of our ministries came to an absolute halt. Why haven't they, why haven't they started again? Why aren't they going again? Amen. I'm so encouraged to see the, the, bus, uh, the bus running right now. I'm so encouraged to see that. I want to get all our bus routes uh, 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 going again. I, I want to see that. I want to see that. Amen. But come back. Come back, not just present, not just physically. Come back with your heart. Come back with your mind. Come back to Heritage Baptist Church. We welcome you, amen? Amen. Uh, but we, it's not enough to say that our church needs revival. If we truly want our church to have revival, we need revival in our families. In our families. That's, that's even further going down from there. We need revival in our families. And um, amen. Uh, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. Genesis 2, verse 24. I, I shouldn't have to define the family this morning, but like I mentioned before, it seems like in today's world, it's good to hear the definition of a family now and again, isn't it? The, the, the biblical definition of a family. Genesis 2, and verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. One man, one woman, for life. End of, end of sentence. All right, that's, that's it. That's it right there. That is, that is the guideline that the Bible gives us for the family. The Bible says be fruitful and multiply. Amen. And the Bible also says that a, that a, that a man who has his quiver full. The Bible also mentions the book of, uh, book of Proverbs. Uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Amen. And so, uh, 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 you know, you shouldn't have to define the family, but there it is. That's the definition of a family. But the purpose of a family is also confused in today's world. The purpose of your family is to please God. Our family is ordained by God. The family is ordained by God, and its purpose is to please him. In whatever way God wishes to use your family, that's exactly where your family ought to be and exactly what your family ought to be doing, amen? Um, It's not sports practices. It's not recitals, music lessons, how well they do in school. It's not graduations. Amen? It's not, uh, it's not financial success. That's good. That's good. There are people out there that get married just for the tax benefits. That's true. There are people out there that are married and don't even live in each other's homes because they just want the tax benefits of marriage. And so to the government, they appear to be a family. That's insane. <laughs> All right? But that's true. That, that's, a, that's a thing that's happening in our world today. Uh, it's not major achievements it's not even raising respectable citizens. It seems like our goal is to just say, well, my kids turned out pretty good. Look, they're not doing anything bad. Well, good. That's good. That's not the purpose. That's not the purpose of the family. That's, that ought not be the goal. It's to please God. It's to please God in whatever way he asks. It's to please him. Uh, your husband and your wife, they aren't there to solely provide you happiness. That's not their goal. They are in your life to give you the opportunity 
to love someone completely and entirely the way that Christ loves the whole world, to give you an opportunity to see how Christ loves each and every one of us. That way that you love your wife, that way that you love your husband, Christ loves the world like that. It's supposed to be, amen. I should say, if you're loving your husband and your wife correctly and the right way, amen, then that is the way that the Lord loves the entire world and to give you an opportunity to see that and to feel that and to know it, amen? Um, Your children, they're not there to carry on your legacy or make you proud. Both of those things are excellent. They're great. But they're there. They're alone from God. They're alone from God. uh, uh, You are a steward, of God's creation, and it's such a time that he asks for them, uh, that he uh, 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 shows them what it is they're supposed to do. You're supposed to let go and let God and let God be pleased with their life. That's, that's the, the, the purpose of the family, like it or not. Like it or not, that's the purpose of the family. Um, uh, go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. Amen. Colossians chapter three. I'm gonna hurry through these points here. I'm a, I'm a bit behind, I apologize. I'll hurry through these points here, amen. But Colossians chapter three, verse 18, the Bible says this, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit uh, uh, in the Lord, amen. Uh, our world around us, they're, 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 they're acting like that verse is somehow demeaning. Like it's somehow demeaning to do that. I constantly, all the time, my wife knows this, I say it all the time. She has, the, in my opinion, the hardest job in the world. Uh, obviously, being a mother to four children, that's really, really crazy hard. She's very good at it. But, but it's really crazy hard. But even harder than that is having to submit herself to this guy, <laughs> all right? Because there are a lot of ideas I have that aren't good ones. They're not good ideas, Amen. She has to find the balance between submission and letting me know that's a bad idea, amen? And she does it wonderfully. She does it wonderfully because she saw it from her mother. She saw her mother do the exact same thing. And, and, and by the way, I haven't gotten there yet, but, but gentlemen, don't steamroll your wives. God's called them to submit to you already, and that's their choice of, uh, uh, that, that, that's their commandment, that's what, that, that's what they're supposed to do. You're not be, supposed to be the one worrying about that. Sorry, I just wanna point that out. Uh, if you don't have the, your wife's submission, uh, that's not uh, supposed to be your area of, tar- you're targeting that, I'm gonna get that, that's gonna be mine. The Bible says, love your wives. That's your commandment. That's what you're supposed to be worrying about. It would have directed, it would have said, husbands, make sure your wives are in line. It doesn't say that. It says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husband. Pay attention to your own commandment. Just want, I just want to throw that out there, amen? Uh, uh, but uh, 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 that, that's Colossians uh, chapter three, verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them, amen? If, if you're steamrolling your wife and, and, and constantly trying to let her know that you're the one uh, who's in charge, you're, you're gonna have a really hard time convincing me that you love somebody that you're not willing to listen to and partner with. And, 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 uh, and then the, the way my father always described it, he said, you are not a leader if you're always pushing from behind, amen? You're not leading anybody. You gotta be out front when you're leading, amen? So just a little challenge there, amen? Uh, Colossians chapter three, verse 20 says this. I know we got some teens in here this morning. Could the children obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Take it from me, a person who did not obey his parents and now has children that I have to uh, 
go through the same, obey your parents, please, for your own sake, so that the Lord will uh, reward you with children that obey you. Amen. Uh, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Amen. We've got to be, uh, like I mentioned earlier before, hey, uh, 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 moms and dads, we have got to be so, so, so careful because even the smallest little exposure to some of these things can lead to it being okay in their hearts and in their minds for longer than you think. Uh, Something like that entering the heart or mind of a child, that sets it in stone a lot harder than, than somebody who's my age and learning of something for the very first time. And I can attest to that because like I mentioned, it's only now that I'm starting to see some of these things. Some of my eyes are starting to be open to how normalized some of this sin has been in my, in my own heart. I hope that makes sense to you. Amen. Uh, where are the men that will stand up like Joshua did and said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't, care what, I don't care what any other family in our church is doing. I can't worry about, like I said, Heritage Baptist Church, we can't worry about what other churches are doing. We have to be focused on our church. Amen. Families? You can't, do what other, you can't worry about what other families in your church are worried about. You need to be worried about your own. Amen? Amen? And, uh, and so it's not enough for us to say that families need revival. If we truly want our families to have revival, we need revival in ourselves. Amen. Each and every single one of us need revival. And so when we get all the way down to it, yes, our country needs revival. Yes, our church needs revival. Yes, our families need revival. We need revival. I need revival. I ought not be worried about anybody else in anybody else's family or anybody else's church or anybody else's country. I can only control what I do. That's what I can control. And it's so easy to find ourselves saying, we need revival. Stop saying we need revival. I need revival. Me, I need it. I need revival. If we all say I need revival, then we will all have revival, amen? Uh, but saying we need revival makes it feel like, well, if everybody else doesn't do it, I'm not gonna do it. We need revival, right, everybody? Yes. Who's gonna do it first? Nobody, okay. Well, we'll try again next time. I need revival, amen? Uh, I once heard a preacher say that, that, that revival is like this. Revival is, is taking a stick and drawing a circle in the sand around yourself and saying everyone in this circle is gonna serve the Lord, is gonna please the Lord with their lives, is gonna love the Lord with all their heart and with all their might, with all their strength. They're gonna, they're gonna do uh, exactly what God wants them to do. And if anybody else nearby says, hey, I'd like to join that circle, well, you just draw a little bigger circle. Well, come on in, come on in, amen? But I'm not worried about anybody else who's not in that circle. I'm drawing a circle around myself this morning and saying, I want revival. And two areas, there are many areas that we need revival, but I want, I want revival in two areas of my life. The first one is my passion. I want a revival of my passion this morning for the Lord. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter one, if you would. Ecclesiastes chapter one. Ecclesiastes chapter one, I'm gonna go quickly. Bible says this in verse number eight. The Bible says, all things are full of labor. Men cannot utter, uh, cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. The thing that hath been, uh, it is that which shall be and that which is done in that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Now, the term under the sun there, it has 
multiple meanings. Like sometimes our idioms have multiple meanings that we say in our, uh, 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 in our language, okay? Bear feet, that could be referring to uh, the feet of a bear. It could also be referring to an uncovered foot, all right? Yes, uh, but there are multiple, and I know those are spelled differently, but there are multiple examples of, 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 of phrases or things that have multiple meanings. Under the sun, it means this physical world, but it's also an idiom of the Israelite language that means this, without God. Something that is under the sun, it is earthly, it is physical, it is, it is, yes, it's in the realm of God's control, but it's not spiritual. It's not something above the sun, it's something above the sun, right? Something under the sun. There is nothing new without God. Oh, that's an interesting way to read that verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And I, I preached to the, uh, the kids on uh, Wednesday night uh, from this verse and talked about the things that are supposed to be new in our lives. New every day. There is nothing new under the sun. It's supposed to be new every day. The, the joy of the Lord is supposed to be new every day. The peace that passes understanding is supposed to be new every day. The fruit of the Spirit, that's supposed to be fresh fruit. And that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be uh, something that we daily get. That's something that we daily need. Um, Paul said, he said, I die daily. He died daily to himself. Every day he realized, I need, to re I need to be revived. I need to be renewed. I need to be restored. And in this world that we're living in, with the weight of, of the voices that are clamoring against us and, and against the things of God, we need it more than ever. We need to be uh, 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 restoring and, and, and refreshing. Amen? And so I want, the, I want the joy of the Lord to be new every morning, every day. Uh, commonly, I actually just discovered this, but commonly a goldfish is used as an example of uh, an animal that has a uh, very bad memory. When in fact, actually, they have an incredibly long-lasting memory. I did not know this, but uh, they can actually remember things for months um, as, a, as a small creature. Uh, they're actually an example of great memory. So I don't know how that came to be, but I found out that the bee, the honeybee, has a working memory of 2.5 seconds. 2.5 seconds is all it takes for it to forget. And there's a reason for it. And it's really interesting, isn't it? They'll go to a flower and they'll drink its nectar or, and, they'll, and, they'll, and, the, and they'll get its nectar. And obviously the pollen gathers all in their legs and it's part of the pollination process. But it may not, in the time it takes them to drink some of that nectar, they may not get entirely covered. So they'll fly away and look around for a little bit and come back and go, oh, a new flower. Look at that. And they'll land on that flower and they'll go to work again. And they'll get more pollen. They may visit that same flower many, many times over again, looking for the nectar they, they had on the first trip. <laughs> but the whole time, they are gathering enough pollen for the process of pollination. Because, and in a way, they're being tricked, so to speak, because their own minds are betraying them. And they keep going back and going, oh, somebody already got this. You got it already. All right? Uh, 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 this flower already. Uh, amen? But that's part of the process. All right, it's also one of the reasons why, you know, uh, the bee flies around you and then it flies away and then it comes back and flies around you and it flies away. It forgot, it already forgot you. It already came back and said, is this a flower? I can't, uh, did I already check this guy out? I don't know, all right? Um, uh, it's, it's one of the reasons for that, amen? 2.5 seconds. I want a memory like that when it comes to serving the Lord. I want every day to feel brand new. I want every day to feel like it did the day before. I don't want to get weighed down and bogged down by this world. I, I want to enjoy being a Christian. And so I want a revival of my passion, amen? Um, 
2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. The Bible says this, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. I'd like to pause there and just mention, you have a call to preach. There it is. I just want to point that out. There's your call to preach. Now you have to show me that you don't have a call, okay? When people like to say, oh, I'm not called to preach. You are. There it is. Uh, 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 so you are called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's right there. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Amen. Uh, uh, there it is. Your, you have, your purpose ought to be his purpose. Whatever he asks you to do, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And, and nothing will bring more joy to the throne room of heaven than doing it. Luke chapter 15 verse 10 says, Likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Amen? I want to have, have a passion to see lost people uh, saved and, uh, and come to know Christ as their Savior. I want to have a passion for it. I don't want to do it begrudgingly or scared or, or ashamed I want to have a passion for it. I want to enjoy it. I want to be looking. I want it to be, I hope that makes sense to you this morning, amen? Um, uh, we need to have a, a revival of our passion, but we also need to have a revival of our purpose, a, rev a revival of our purpose. Uh, 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 when, when um, uh, just like the, the world, the church, and the family, each individual Christian's purpose is, in fact, to glorify God with our lives. Any other use of our time is to be considered a waste of what Christ paid for with his shed blood on Calvary. Any other time. Amen? And I will point out this, that God gave us an excellent illustration of working. He worked Six days and he rested on the seventh. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have times where you rest. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have times where you enjoy yourself. I'm not, and I'm not even saying, uh, by the way, the, the Bible only called out lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It didn't say lovers of pleasures, end sentence. It says lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. There's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, hey, I had a great time with my family today. Hey, I had the opportunity to do something amazing that I never had the chance to do before. It was so wonderful. There's nothing wrong with those things. But your life's purpose, the purpose of your life, that thing that when your life is over, people look back and say, this is what they did with it, is supposed to be seeing souls saved. It's supposed to be witnessing, allowing God to, it's allowing God to, 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 to work in your life and to see people saved, amen? To be a part of it, to be a part of it, amen? I have a, a video, I asked, uh, I asked Brother Simmons to get a, uh, a, a video ready that I wanna show this morning in closing, and, uh, and, um, it's a famous atheist man. His name is Penn Jillette. He's part of a uh, magician act called Penn and Teller. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of this before. I asked Pastor and got permission to show this video. He is an atheist man. He does have long hair and things of that nature. Um, he's, very, he's a very well-spoken man, and his act is, is uh, known the world over because uh, uh, of, he's a very intelligent person. But very similarly to Mahatma Gandhi, when he was a child, he was turned away because he asked too many questions about what he found in the Bible. No one could answer them for him. And he was turned away. And because of that, for his entire life, he spent advocating against Christianity because not even Christians can answer the questions from the word of God. I hate that. 
I hate that that happened. But I'd also like to point out that I thought about it and I thought, I wonder what questions I would have been asked that I would have been ashamed that I didn't know the answer to, that I would have, you know, if a second grade kid came up to me and asked me a question, I went, I have no idea. Please leave me alone. All right? Uh, that's essentially what happened to him. And uh, anyways, but I'd, I'd like you guys to, to, to uh, watch this video of a story of a man who was willing to witness to him, even while he was an atheist. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks, and you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done. Big guy, probably about my age. Big guy, and. Um, he had been the, um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, that's uh, not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him on the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not, getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody 
to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, liked your show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And... Uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. I had some other things written down here, but I'm pretty sure that man, a man who has decided in his heart and his mind there is no God, just said it better than I could. How much do you have to hate? How much do you have to hate somebody to not be out, to not be witnessing? How much do you got to despise your world, your country, to not be doing something? That man has spent more time thinking about what he would do as a Christian than Christians do. That man has spent more time reading the Bible and understanding those things and saying to himself, if I were a Christian, this is how I would behave, than some of us have who are Christians. Amen? Amen. I'll close with this thought. This is a sad thought to close up. I'll close, I'll close with this thought, thought some hope. Uh, in 1904, a young girl, her, her name was Flory Evans. She was 19 years old. She was sitting in a, in a church in uh, New Quay, Wales, and they had a guest preacher. His name was Joseph Jenkins. He came in and he preached uh, a, a message on a normal Sunday morning, and they had a time of testimony afterwards, and they were going around, and some people were giving prayer requests, as some people do in a, in a testimony time, and some people were praising the Lord, and, and she stood up, and all she said was this. She, she said, I love Jesus with all of my heart. And then she sat down. And the account is that a, a silence fell over that crowd. And one by one, different people stood up and said, I too love Jesus with all my heart. I love Jesus with all my heart. And before you know it, that congregation had spent hours together, crying and weeping and asking God to bless them as a church. That was the beginning of the 1904 Welsh Revival, in which over the next uh, approximately two years, the gospel would sweep over the nation of Wales and 100,000 people would come to know Christ as their savior. Because one person said, you know what? I'm all in. I love Jesus with all of my heart. Amen. Just a thought for us to finish with. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you'd stand with me this morning, we'll pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I